All right. I need thee, thee, oh, I need thee, every hour, I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to, to Thee. Heavenly Father, I need you, Lord God. I pray right now, Lord God, that you reduce all of me and fill me up with more of your spirit, God, that I may proclaim your word with truth, God. Lord God, I'm praying for the hearers of your word, God, that you remove any distraction, Lord God, that your word may go and hit its mark, Lord Jesus, that we may glorify you more from your scripture, from your word, Lord God. That is our heart's desire to see you more, to love you more, Lord. So we are praying just for your grace in this moment. Touch your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, body believers. Today, we'll be talking about, as Oleg has the top topic up here, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. And yes, I borrowed that term from John Piper <laughs> and his book. I, I agree with Piper in the book for the most part. Um, his base scripture in that book is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. But I will be highlighting other verses. Um, I agree with Piper, but I will be highlighting other verses as well. And my objective today is to show you the objective of the gospel. So my objective today is to show you the objective or the central point, the main theme of the gospel. I also want to show you the the byproduct products or the blessings or the results of believing the gospel and how believing the gospel affects how you view the world. It affects how you look at your life. And so that's what we're going to do in today. We're going to look at the gospel, the objectives of the gospel. And just to kind of give you guys a, a heads up, I'm doing something different today. I'm borrowing a, a page out of Pastor Brian's book, and I'm using a, a tablet. And I've never preached with a tablet, so this is going to be different. And so uh, just just bear Try not to drop it. There we go. So just bear with me. But before we get to our to our scripture, um, I, I must tell you that I almost preach or almost, I guess you would say, yeah, almost preach to you heresy or false doctrine. I almost came here and almost preached to you heresy or false doctrine, not on purpose, not intentional. My, my goal was to show you the, the beauty of your salvation. My, my goal was to show you the, the treasures in your salvation. My, it, it was for your joy to the glory of God. I, I wanted to describe the, the new heavens and new earth that comes from our, the gospel that we inherit. I wanted to discuss the, the, the new life in Christ that we have. I wanted to talk about eternal life and, and all those things that we, we receive from the gospel. Our, our soul wanted to preach those things and just to highlight those things so that you could see them and just, and just love those things. But all of those things 
are the result of believing the gospel. They are not the gospel or the objective of the gospel. And the moment you begin to highlight the benefits or the results of the gospel over the giver of the gospel, you close, you inch nearer and nearer or closer to closer to heresy and false doctrines. Mm, and so I just wanted to just throw that out there. You can even approach idolatry as you begin to highlight the benefits or the results of the gospel over the giver of the, the gospel. And some of you are, are, are saying like, hold on, brother Jerome, but all those things you, you mentioned, you, you mentioned heaven, uh, eternal life, salvation, um, escape from hell's flame. Isn't that the objective of the gospel? Some of you are saying, isn't that why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross so that I might be saved? Isn't that the purpose of John 316? Let's, let's, let's look at that. Go to John 316. Because I know some of you may be saying, whoa, that's that's a little different here. I thought that was the whole point. I thought that was the objective. And you're telling me something different. John 3, 16. Familiar verse. I'm sure most of you can even quote it. But it's, it's good to just, just read it and look at it. John 3, 16. And it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever or whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So from this verse, we're seeing who's doing the loving here. It's God. God, he is doing the loving here and he is displaying his love by giving his son. Right. That's that's what we're seeing here. Right. But okay, let's stop there. What is so loving about that? What is so loving about God giving his son? I mean, how is how does God giving his son demonstrate his love? See, we need to get to the foundation of the gospel. We need to get to the foundation of this. What's next in the verse? It says that whosoever or whoever believes in the son will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So the result of believing it's the son is that I do not perish. But I get what? Eternal life. But why are we perishing in the first place? Right? If the result is believing in the son, I get eternal life. Then why was I perishing in the first place? Sin, right? Sin is the the reason why we are perishing and why we need the son. Because sin is the opposite of holy. See, God is holy and sin is the opposite of holy. And not only is sin the opposite of holy, but sin is an enemy of God. And if we have sin in us, that makes us enemies of God. And guess what? Hell is the place where God's final wrath is carried out on those who are enemies of God. So in order for us to be saved from God's wrath, there needs to be a change in the relationship with God. Because right now, because of sin, we are sinners. That means we're enemies of God. There needs to be a change or a shift in the relationship between us and God in order for us to escape this wrath. So we need to go from enemy of God to friend of God. We need to go from enemy of God because of our sin and disobedience to having peace with God or being reconciled with God. See, this is the objective or this is the central point or the main meaning of the gospel. 
It is to bring us to God. It's to bring us to with peace to God. It is, it is to reconcile us back with the Savior. That is the point of the gospel. That is the ultimate objective of the good news and all of those other things, eternal life, um, a, a changed life. Those are the results of being reconciled to God, but they are not the gospel itself. They are the benefits. They are the byproducts of no longer being an enemy of God. But the objective or the chief objective of the good news, the chief objective of Jesus Christ is to bring you who are an enemy to God. That's the gospel. That's the ultimate point of God sending his son. That is the ultimate point of Jesus Christ dying on a cross so that you may be brought to God, which is the most valuable thing. That's the gospel. Reconciliation with God. Having peace with God. Something that we cannot do on our own. And I want to show you a little bit more of this in detail. Go with me to Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Let's keep digging into this reconciliation thing here. Peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. All right, let's work this tablet here. Stop. <laughs> All right. So Romans chapter five, verse one. Let's let's see if we can kind of hash this out a little bit better. Uh, let's 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 kind of dig into this. Chapter one. I mean, chapter five, verse one. Look what he says here. Therefore, having been justified, we're gonna get into justified a little bit later, but that means to be made right with God, justified by faith. What happens now? We have what? Peace with God. Are you seeing that, right? So in order for you to have peace with God because of justification, that means before Jesus, you were what? An enemy of God. If through Christ we now have peace with God, that means outside of Christ, we were or we were or are enemies of God. Now go down to verse nine. I want to show you some more as we look at this reconciliation thing, this peace with God. He says here in verse nine, much more than. Having now been justified, there goes that word again, by his blood, the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Christ. Look at verse 10. It says, for if while we were enemies, there goes that word again, enemies with God, basically, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been, here's our favorite word again, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 11. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation or some of your versions may say the atonement. You see how reconciliation is going all in this verse. Reconciliation, reconciliation. And then he goes at that last verse in verse 11, he calls it the re reconciliation. In Greek, that's, that's a noun. He's saying this is the reconciliation of all reconciliations. Reconciliation with God, peace with God. That is what we achieve or that is what we get through Jesus Christ. So reconciliation with God is the objective of the gospel. That's the point. That's the that's the meaning of this, that you may be reconciled to this Lord, to this Savior, to the great creator. That's the point 
the gospel. Remember, all those other things are the result of you being reconciled. Outside of this, you are not reconciled. You remain an enemy of God. Let's dig into some more. Oleg has some verses for us that I just want to show you. For the sake of time, I'm going to have him show you those verses, and we're going to keep going. First verse. Romans 5.11. And not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here goes our favorite word coming up. Through whom we have now received what? The reconciliation. You're going to keep seeing it. Go again. Give us another one, Oleg. Ephesians 2, 14 through 15, verse 8 and verse 18. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit, what? To the Father. So it is through Christ we have our access through to the Father. It is what Christ has done. He has reconciled us to the Father. Can you go to the next one, Oleg? Colossians 1, 19-20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And here go, here go, look at verse 20. And through him to what? reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. There goes our word reconciled again. Can you give us another one, Oleg? Second Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Now, all these things are from God. Here goes our word again. Who what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, what reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of what reconciliation. <laughs> Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as through God. We're making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Here goes our favorite word again. Be reconciled to God. That is the objective. That is the point of the gospel to bring you back into a relationship with God, to reconcile you with God so that you can see him for who he really is. This is the gospel. And I hope that you're beginning to see this. This is why Christ has come. This is why he hung on a cross to bring us to God. God is the gospel. Reconciliation. And so you got to understand reconciliation is, is kind of like a marriage. In a marriage, you have two people sometimes that are at odds with one another, right? You may have a, a husband and a wife, right? They're, they're at odds with one another. And when they squash their differences, what do we call that? We say that they are reconciling, right? Their differences. But here's the difference between, or uh, uh, the difference between us with God. In our relationship between God, God is the cooperative party. We are the party that's turning our back. You ever seen a, a relationship where you have a husband and a wife? And they're in, they're in an argument. And since I'm a man, I'm going to use the man. That's the good guy this time. <laughs> you, have a, you have a husband and a wife right there in an argument. And the man is like, honey, come on, let's work it out. And she's like, no, 
Don't talk to me. And he's like, honey, come on, you know. And she's like, no, I don't want to hear what you say. See, he's the cooperative party. See, God in this, when he's reconciling us, he's the one that's coming after us. He's sending his son to reconcile us, the Bible says, back to himself. We're the one turning and trying to go away from God. But when he's seen us running away from the fold of God, he comes after us and brings us back to himself, to his son. See, he's reconciling us to put us right back into a favor with him so that we may have a right relationship with him. See, and this is the major difference in Christianity versus any other world religion. In any other world religion, you have the person trying to reach God by their good deeds. You're trying to be good enough so that you can reach God. But in Christianity, it's the difference. It's, it's different. God is actually coming to us. God is actually reconciling us who was running away from the fold of God. And he's bringing us to himself. And that is what the beauty of Jesus is. And that's why God is so good, because he is coming after us, the party who is running away from God, who is turning away from God. And he's bringing us to himself through this reconciliation of the gospel. So that's why this gospel, the objective is to bring us, these sinners, to the, the Holy One, the Savior, the Sim, to find our satisfaction in God. Now, how is this reconciliation accomplished, right? God is reconciling man unto himself. We looked at those words, justification. So how is this reconciliation being accomplished? It's being accomplished. The obvious answer, right, is what? Through Jesus, right? Because God is holy and he's just and he just can't let our sins just pass by, right? And the Bible says in Romans um, 6.23 that what? The wages of sin is what? death right the bible also says in roman 3 23 that what we all have sin right so if the wages of sin is death and we all have sin then somebody has to die god's justice has to be served so god sends his son to be the sacrifice which is beyond my understanding I mean, I, I fully don't get it. I mean, you and I are these these selfish, prideful, idol-worshiping people that deserve God's wrath. But to demonstrate his love, he sends his son to take on that wrath. To bring us into a right relationship with him. To bring us into reconciliation with him. But it wasn't just Jesus' death on the cross that brings us reconciliation with God. But it was also the holy life that he lived prior to the cross. See, oftentimes we highlight the Christ, the cross so much that we forget about the holy life that led up to the cross. See, no, not just anybody could go and die on a cross. Not just anyone. I mean, there, there were many people that died on the cross before Jesus, and there were many people that died on the cross after Jesus. Guess what? Their death didn't do anything to change the relationship between us and God. So it's not just that he, he died on the cross. It's the fact that Jesus was sinless. He was holy. He was a spotless lamb. That's what makes his death so different. He fulfilled God's righteous law, meaning that he did something that you and I could never do, which is being perfect. That's something that you and I could never do. We could never fill God's righteous laws. We can never fulfill all of that. Only Christ could do it. 
That's why he's the only one worthy to go and then take on the sins of the world. He's the only perfect, spotless lamb, the lamb of God. Jesus stayed in God's will. Matter of fact, in John 434, remember the woman at the well? Remember after he spoke to her, his disciples came back. And when they came back, excuse me. When they came back, they asked him, Jesus, do you want some food? Right. And Jesus was like, no, my food is the will of the father. My food is to accomplish his works. What Jesus was saying that my sustaining source is God. He's the one that keeps me. He's the one that motivates me. My joy is his joy. My passion is his passion. See, he was perfectly in the will of the father. The father fully satisfied him and sustained him. Unlike Adam and Eve, who went after their own glory as opposed to God's glory, who did their own will as opposed to God's will. Or unlike the children of Israel who played the harlot by chasing after other gods and lesser pleasures are unlike you and I who did our will versus God will and went after other pleasures as opposed to sustain, sustaining ourselves in God, as opposed to finding our full satisfaction in God. See, that was the point of man's creation. To glorify God, to find their full satisfaction in God, but through the fall that fell away. But Christ came and lived the life that we were supposed to be living. Fully trusting, fully counting on, fully depending on, fully satisfying in God. But we did the opposite through our sin. We didn't find our satisfaction in God. We found our satisfaction in lesser pleasures. And, and, and I think Jeremiah 2.13 in Romans 1.25 sums up the world's dissatisfaction in God and in his will, which led to a separation from God. And I want to show you this verse. Ola, can you go to Jeremiah 2.13, please? Let's look at this verse here. This is Jeremiah talking about the children of Israel. And look what he says here. He says, for my people... This is what God is saying about the children of Israel. For my people have committed two evils. So there's two evils here. He said, they have forsaken me. They have left me. That's the first evil. They, they have left me the fountain of living water. So they, they have left the fountain, the source, the thing that will truly satisfy, the thing that really will sustain them. They have left that, the fountain of living water, and they went and hewed for themselves cisterns, and not just cisterns, but broken cisterns that can hold no water. And he calls that evil. He calls it evil when you go and leave God for a lesser thing, a lesser pleasure. He, he calls that evil when you, you leave the will of God and the things that he's saying to do in his word and you go and you do your own will. He, he finds that evil that you're not finding your satisfaction and your joy in him, which is the source. He calls it, it's, it's evil, it's wrong. And not only this, go to Romans uh, 125, please. Oleg has it for us up here. Romans 125 also shows our, our summarizes the world's dissatisfaction in God and in his will. It says, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped 
and serve the creature rather than the creator, the one that made it, who is blessed forever. He says, amen. See, we, when we worship and serve the creature, and you know how we, how we do that? We do that through, uh, preferring our family over God, pre- preferring our wife over God, preferring our grandchildren, preferring our careers, preferring our material wealth, all of that over God. He, see, he said that is what the world has done. They've exchanged the, the truth, which is God, and they went after his lesser things. They went after his creation as opposed to finding their joy in worshiping the true God, the sinner, the creator. But through Jesus, we are brought back to this fountain of living water. Through Jesus, we are brought back to the bread that truly satisfies. See, the good news really is good news because we were eating slop. But then the father through the son came and took us from the sloth pen and brought us to the finest meal for our enjoyment, which is God. That is why I want to show you a verse. Go to 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18. Oh, look, I didn't didn't give him that one, so we got to use our Bibles. 1 Peter 3.18. We're here. 1 Peter 3.18. Look how it reads. It says, For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. Here goes our objective of the gospel. So that he might what? Bring us to who? To God. Again, are you seeing the objective of the gospel? He's bringing us to the great meal. He's he's bringing us to the, the finest thing. He's bringing us to the most valuable thing, which is God, because we went away from God. So as we follow Christ, we follow and we see more of God. We see more of the thing that really is going to satisfy us and sustain us. That is why Christ has come to bring us back and to lead us back to that place that really satisfies, which is God, that we may glorify God. That is the point of all of this, brothers and sisters. That we may be brought back to God, sustained in him. The good news is good news because without it, we would have stayed eating our slop. But through Christ's work, we are brought back to God. So that we will find our enjoyment on the fullest and best thing. This is why the prodigal son that Jesus spoke of was so powerful. Because you and I were prodigal sons and daughters. But God took us back, put a ring on our finger, put a robe on our back, made us royalty, made us his child. And it's through this reconciliation that flows all of the gospel benefits and affects how we view the world. Let me explain this in an example. Second Corinthians 517. Go there with me. Second Corinthians 517. I want to show you just in detail how the, the, the gospel benefits all flow from having reconciliation, coming back to God, seeing God, finding our source in him. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Let 
Are we here? And we're going to read down to 19. Matter of fact, we're just 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here he goes. Look what he says here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. That's this new life, right? The new life that we talk about. He's a new creature. If he's in Christ, a person is in Christ. This is how you become new. It says, old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Or all things are new, depending on your translation. Now, look what happens next. Look at the verse following that. Now, all of these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you seeing the flow here? This new life that we get in Christ, it starts with what? The reconciliation. See, without reconciliation, there is no new creation. Notice that without reconciliation, there is no new creation in you and me. Reconciliation happens first and God makes us a new creation. And that's the point that he's showing here that all of these gospel benefits flow from having peace and being one with God. Outside of that, there is no new creation. Outside of this, we stay in our position. And see, we can't highlight the new life in Christ. Even when we're talking to that alcoholic who is struggling with, with, with drinking, even when we're talking to that drug addicted person, or even when we're talking to that person that is struggling with pornography, or even when we're talking to that person that is struggling with gambling, we cannot highlight this new life over the giver of this new life. And I have to confess, I realize in my life I've done that a lot when I went out and evangelized. I realized that I was always highlighting the new life and not really highlighting the reconciliation with God, which gives us the new life. And I've been repenting over it all this weekend, just telling God, I'm sorry. I'm, I was I was thinking, just trying to show that Christ will make you new. He will change your heart. He will give you a new mind. And yes, that is all true. But I cannot highlight those things over the giver of those things. And I realized that I was not in proper balance in my evangelism. Because I was just highlighting all of the gifts over as not as, um, and not the giver. And I can hear some saying, but brother Jerome, when people are, are hungry or, are, are drug addicted and, and homeless, they're, they're not thinking about peace with God. They're, they're thinking about their current situation. So if I, if I go and tell them peace with God when they're hungry, they're not going to hear me because they're, they're dealing with these issues over here and, and peace with God is not on their mind at the time. What do I do with that? You feed them. If they need housing, you help them with housing. If they have whatever needs you, you help them with their needs. But Paul says that we are ministers of reconciliation. So that means as ministers of reconciliation, we have to redirect their priorities from that lesser priority to the greater priority, which is reconciliation with God. That's what we do as ministers of reconciliation. We we redirect people's um, lesser priorities to show them the greater priorities that you stand in in danger of hell because you are not at peace with God because you and God are enemies right now. You and you and God are, are not on, on the right path. You're you and God are, are not one. 
So you, you have to be reconciled to God. You, you have to have peace and see God for who he is. We have to redirect those priorities to the greater priorities. Yes, we meet those needs. We, we do those things. See, it, it is because we have not been reconciled to God and we do not see him as our all satisfying source that we actually turn and look to those lesser pleasures. So that's how people often end up in that position, that position in the first place, because we haven't been reconciled to the God. We haven't found him as our source. We don't see him as beautiful and who he is. And so because we don't see him as our source, we go to these lesser pleasures of, of intimacy, of, of gluttony, of, of drinking, of materialism, of trips, of, of, of careers, of pride and all of those things. Why? Because we're not seeing the source of God as so beautiful. But through the gospel, Christ comes in and removes those blinders off of our eyes to see God as holy and awesome and satisfying. He brings us to God so that we can see God for who he is and find our satisfaction in God. Because that was was um, that was the thing that was lost in the fall of men. In the fall of men, that's when the blinders came on and that's when we begin to pursue other lesser pleasures other than God. But to Christ. He removes the blinders, brings us to God, and lets us see the beautiful picture, this all-sustaining source, this, this thing that keeps us going. And we, as we begin to see God and how glorious he is, those things of sin begin to lose their appeal. Those, those addictions begin to lose their appeal. Those, those chains begin to break off of us. Why? Because we are now seeing God as the source and they no longer have that grip upon our hearts. It's the gospel. That's the point. God is the gospel also affects how we do missions and evangelism. For example, hell can't be our main motivation for sharing the gospel. Hell cannot be our main motivation for sharing the gospel. But you say, Brother Jerome, I don't want people going to hell. I don't want them going to hell either. But... What is hell? What is hell according to the Bible? Hell is that eternal separation. What? From the presence of God. That means you are forever separated. And now you're getting his wrath. So hell is separation from God. So it's the same thing. So if we're going to preach hell, we got to preach it right. That hell means separation from God. Eternally. Eternally. So God is the gospel. It affects how we share the gospel. It affects our motive and our mission for the gospel. God is the gospel also affects how we view heaven. If we view heaven just as a place where we reunite with friends and loved ones and relatives and streets of gold, that sounds like idolatry because I don't hear God in any of that. That is how we turn our salvation into idolatry, where we make it about all these other things and God is not in the picture. If God is not the central focus of your heaven and why you view it and love it, then you just made heaven into idolatry, into an idol. God has to be the center and focus of everything. It's not just reuniting. Yes, those are good things. Don't don't miss me and think I'm saying those are bad things. Those are great things, but God has to be the center of it. 
God has to be the foundation of it. He has to be the foundation in everything we do. That is what a reconciled life to God looks like. Where God becomes the foundation of all things. And I want to give you a, a verse I think that summarizes that. Go to Psalm 73. Old Testament, Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verse 25. We here? Let's look at Psalm 73, verse 25. Look what the psalmist says here. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? So now we see who's the main star in his heaven. Who's the main star in his heaven? It's God. God is the source of his heaven. So he's showing you what a reconciled life to God looks like. It's where God becomes the foundation of your heaven, where he's the foundation. He's the center of what you are, what you do. So God is his head. That's the one he's looking for for heaven. Look at the next part. He says, and besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Wow. That's a bold statement. In heaven, you are the one I have. You're the one. You're mine. And then on earth, I desire nothing on earth but you. Some of you are saying, hold on. I I don't get this, Brother Jerome, because I desire my wife. I desire food. I desire my kids. I desire. So, So how is the psalmist saying that on earth, You're the only one I desire when I have all these other desires. Let me explain it this way. When mankind fell from the favor of God through sin, food, for example, food became food. You guys are like, what do you mean food became food? When mankind fell, food became food. So it's a good steak. That's good chicken. But with a reconciled heart and a reconciled mind to God, food and eating now becomes an act of worship. As we think about the God who made all the flavors, all of the spices, all of these good things for our enjoyment, it brings us to worship and thankfulness. Why? Because we see that it is the God who made it, who gave us it. So we're saying that, God, you are my foundation for even me liking this steak. For even me liking the, the Kool-Aid or the, or the pudding. This is all your creation. So uh, even as I eat this, you are the foundation for why I'm enjoying it. I, it is you I'm desiring. Even with intimacy, when it is reconciled back to God, it can become an act of worship because it is God who gave us this, these pleasures for our enjoyment. That is why the psalmist can say, I desire nothing on earth beside you because the foundation of his desires, even in everything from food to all other things, is God. And that is the best way that I and some others understand this text. The psalmist is saying that it is you, God, the foundation of why I enjoy everything, why I can make that statement. But let me say this, and this is my my last point, really. We don't live perfectly reconciled lives to God. 
as we go in this life, we're still reconciling things to God. Christ, through his Holy Spirit, is helping us reconcile things to God. Now, positionally, we are fully reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. We stand righteous and holy with him. We have peace with him. But practically, as we work it out, each day, we're reconciling things that were astray from God or the opposite God and bringing them back into fellowship and union with God. And it really affects the times right now where we have racism and uh, prejudice in our country, racial, racial, racial division. All of those things are a result of the fall. Racism, prejudices, how we look at other cultures, other groups. Those things have to be reconciled back to God that we may see each person as God does. So we still have reconciliation to go. Our life is not perfectly reconciled in, in areas. We still have to bring some things back into relationship or fellowship with God. But through Christ, by the Spirit, He's going to constantly work that in us. He's going to constantly work that in us to where all things in us are fully reconciled to God, union with Him. So, when it comes to the gospel, the objectives, the objective is to bring you to God. It is to remove sin, it's to remove all those barriers that were stopping you from having a relationship with God. And now you can feast and just know Him and glorify Him in everything you do, from how you work, from how you go about your day, from how you now look at your kids. They're not just kids, but now we're seeing these, these gifts from God who has allowed us to be parents to these. I mean, see, it's when you understand this gospel. It changes how you view everything in the world. You look at this tree. You look at these bushes, for example, when, when God made trees. The Bible said when he when he made the, the trees, he looked at it and said it was good. It was good. One, yes, it was going to sustain the people. He would make the earth's creation, the humans like you and I. But it was also good for displaying his glory. Because all of the universe displays his glory, all of creation. And so the, the plants are good for displaying his glory. You and I, are we're good for displaying his glory and bringing them back to glory. See, everything, the trees, the, 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 the plants, the animals, all of those things were made for his glory to display his glory. So now when you take your kid to the zoo, that giraffe has a different appeal to you, right? It's not just a giraffe. God said it was good. It's good to display my glory. It's good to show that I'm good. We're supposed to look at God's creation and be more in love with him. His, his things that he's made is supposed to lead us to worship. See, all of that was lost in the fall. But through Christ, we are reconciled back to God, to that place where we're supposed to be. God is the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word. You are so awesome. Thank you for being so good. You even hearing my prayers right now was brought by Jesus. It was blood bought. So we thank you, Lord. The peace that we have with you, God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for leading us to the Father. And thank you, Father, for showing us the Son. And Son, thank you for showing us the Holy Spirit, the triune God. You are a source. 
So God, I'm praying that your word just stays in our hearts of my brothers and sisters here today. May they see you as the all-satisfying source, as the objective and means of the gospel. May you work in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.